You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. What's up, Radiant Church? Good to see you guys. Good to be back. Hey, if you're new with us, my name is Marco Salazar. I am the lead pastor of Radiant Church. Welcome. Thank you for making Radiant Church a part of your weekend and worshiping with us here. Um, so last weekend, my wife and I were out of town. We were in Houston, Texas at the XO Marriage Conference, and it was just incredible. We had a, a chance to just really work on us and our marriage. It was so necessary, and the Lord just did a lot of different things so many takeaways that I could share at a, at a different time, but I'll just share something really quick with all of you. I felt uh, God just put it on my spear uh, for this morning. I feel like the Lord just showed me, if you want a healthy marriage, you need at least two things. I know there's a lot of things you need, but you need at least two things. Listen, courage and humility. You need courage and humility. Courage, listen, to have the hard conversations, right? Anybody ever have a hard conversation in their marriage, right? Sometimes you have to have hard conversations in marriage, so not, and, and you need courage, because some, some of you are more prone to be passive, and you don't want to have the hard conversations, but you need courage to speak the truth. Now, you also need humility, though, right, because you need the, the humility to listen to one another. Uh, we're so prone, well, let me make a correction. I'm so prone to, when I hear something, I'm like, well, the reason I do this is because you do that, Right? And if you wouldn't do that thing, I wouldn't do this thing, right? And so the Lord was like, hey, you need humility to hear and not retaliate, not throw another grenade over the fence. And so uh, we had some hard conversations. They were good conversations. We shed some tears because that's what happens when you get real with one another. You hear things that are hard to hear, and we let the Lord just begin to heal our lives. And we just get, you know, we get busy. We got kids, and we got full-time ministry and just a work schedule and pressures that are on me that are unbearable at times, it's so easy for my, my wife and I to, to put our relationship last. It really is. And the Lord is like, you need to bring this front and center so I can do a, a work in you. And we're praying about how we want to bring um, resources, the XO resources to all of you so we can build healthy, strong marriages here in the church. Amen, church? Because we know Satan hates marriage, hates the family. Uh, uh, if you uh, can take out a marriage, you can take out a family. If you take out the family, you take out a society, right? And so we're trying to figure out how we're going to bring those resources here for all of you. So be on the lookout for that. We're processing. We're, we're praying about that right now. And uh, we'll, 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 we'll keep you updated as we know things, as we figure out some of these things. Now, on a second note, I want to just take a moment to have a quick family meeting with all of you about three minutes or so. If you're not a regular attender, well, I guess you're gonna be in on the conversation anyways. But listen, this is a family conversation. And I wanna just say right now that we, uh, over the last three months, we have been just experiencing here at Radiant Church some rapid growth, okay? Just look around and you can just tell that. First service was completely full, like it was more full than, than today. We are overcrowding in our classrooms. We literally have no more room. And I just want to address the elephant in the room. We are experiencing some growing pains, okay? But I want to just tell you, these are good things. These are good problems. And I promise you, as a leadership team, we've been praying. We've been seeking God. We've been seeking outside counsel as well because we, we, we have to. And we're trying to figure out some things for the future. And what, we, we promise that we'll bring you up to speed on that in the right time. But I just want to just ask two things of you, if you wouldn't mind, as we think about this season for the church's growth, rapid growth season right now. Number one, two things I want to ask of you. Number one, please, please, please be patient with all of us. Please be kind and patient to our kids' workers, okay, with our kids' ministry. They're doing the absolute best they can right now, okay? I promise you. And just logistically, listen, we can't have 50 kids in one room because it's like anarchy, right? It's like they're just climbing on top of each other. I mean, I kid you not. Listen, two weeks ago, 
There was a bit of a scare. <laughs> I was scared because there was about a group of five-year-olds that had taken Martha Morgan, Martha Morgan hostage, okay? And we didn't know if we were going to see her again. Marcus was worried. And listen, let me just tell you, it all ended well. She gave up the goldfish crackers, and they retreated, okay? And he was like, stand down, okay? Like, have all the crackers you want. I don't care, okay? And it all ended well. I'm just letting you know that's what happens when we got eight, you know, 80 kids in one room. Like, it's not, it doesn't work, okay? So on a serious note, would you help us by being patient and being kind? We understand there's an overcrowding problem. We understand there's no more room. We get it, and we're planning for the future, okay? Number two, I want to say this as well. Uh, and this is especially if you attend first service. This is especially for first service. Listen, when first service is over, we love you. Go, go and get your kids immediately, okay? Immediately. Give two people a side hug, and then guess what? I need you to get out on out of here, okay? <laughs> I need you to get on out of here because we need your parking spot. Just being real. This pastor's being real. We need your parking spot. I, I know. We got problems. We're, we're, we're planning for how we're going to fix that. But for now, listen, for now, would you go give two people a Christian side hug and just say, I got to go. Someone needs my parking spot, okay? Because why? Because both services are, will be filled. They will, they will be packed, okay? Easter, I'm expecting that we're going to see our biggest numbers yet, probably over 700 people I'm expecting, okay? So be patient. Yes, it's a good thing. Okay, so that, over the last few months, we've been having just rapid growth. But with that, listen, uh, we've got some growing pains. And again, I love you guys, but can I just tell you, these are good problems. These are good problems, so we need your patience in this season. This will not be fixed overnight, okay? We need your patience in this season, okay? We understand what the Lord is doing here is unique. It's special. Uh, people are coming to faith. People are confessing their sins. Kids are sharing the gospel in the classrooms. Hello. Come on. God is raising up a generation of revivalists. So come on, listen. God is doing, he's, he's at work here in a unique way, and I'm telling you, the conversations I'm having with people, my staff is having with people, it's bonkers. Like, it's, like we're, we're meeting people who are from every background and all sort of backgrounds, religious backgrounds, and people are coming to Jesus, learning more about him. So listen, be patient with us, and then get your kids and leave, okay? All right. <laughs> That's more for first service, though, so just FYI, all right? Love you, but get on out of here, Okay. <laughs> All right, listen, this morning we're in part number three of a series we started a few weeks ago, Christ, Culture, and the Church. It is a series on the book of 1 Corinthians, and this is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Now, Paul himself was, uh, he was not a Christian, actually, but he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He actually got knocked off his horse. Jesus came to Paul in a very powerful and unique way. Paul became a Christian. He became then a missionary and an evangelist, and then he started churches all over Asia Minor, one of those churches being Corinth. Scholars think that Paul started this church about the year 50 AD, okay? Now, as I've told you before, um, Corinth was a very metropolitan area, and so diversity, different backgrounds and ethnicities and belief systems all converging in this one port city known as Corinth. Now, as a result, it, was, it became a very sinful city, okay? It was like, you know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, you know what I mean? So it was like Vegas, but think about Vegas on steroids, all right? And so as a result, um, there begin to be a lot of problems in the church. And the reason for all of this is because um, the church in Corinth allowed the sin of the city to permeate, to, to come into the assembly of the saints, okay? When the church looks too much like the world, uh, trouble ensues. Trouble follows. And so when Paul writes, listen, church, Paul is writing to bring not only clarification of what the gospel is, Paul is also writing to bring correction. He's writing to say, hey, <laughs> what you're doing this is no bueno, okay? <laughs> no bueno, not good. And he has to bring a lot of rebuke and correction. Now, the book of the letter of 1 Corinthians is actually divided into five different sections, okay? Think 
So for you Bible nerds out there, five different sections. The first section is one that we covered, we've already covered in brief at least for two weeks. And um, you can put up that slide, Aaron. That first section talks about divisions in the church. This is chapters one through four. Essentially, here's what's happening. The people in the church have created factions because some people say, I follow Paul. Some people say, well, I follow um, ah, Jesus, okay? Some people say, I follow Cephas. And as they do that, what they're doing is they're creating these different teams, and, and the, the church looks more like a popularity contest than anything else. Well, I like him. No, I, I follow him. I like him over him, and, and so forth and so on. The result is there are many divisions in the church. People are not agreeing. It's not a good thing. Now, as we move on to the second section, Paul writes, and he's dealing with problems addressing or that have come as a result of sex. This is chapters five through seven. This is what we're dealing with today, just so you know. We're talking about sex, so just get ready. It's, we're going to go there, okay? And so Paul has to address problems as a result of sex happening in the church. Listen, it turns out that some people are sleeping around. There's, there's a guy in the church in Corinth. <laughs> people are like, <laughs> I've never had your, more, your attention more in my life. <laughs> There's a guy in Corinth who's sleeping with his stepmother. Exactly. So Paul's like, hey, <laughs> no bueno, that's not right. You can't do that, okay? Other people in the church are sleeping with temple prostitutes. So, okay, Corinth, remember, very metropolitan, okay? So there were these temples in Corinth where, they, where the people would worship false idols. As a part of the worship, there were prostitutes who worked at the temples there in Corinth. Now, people in the church are going to sleep with prostitutes. It's kind of like the strip bar on Saturday night and then church on Sunday morning, you know what I'm saying? Deja vu, let me just speak your language, deja vu on Saturday night and then church in the morning. I told you I'm going to be real with you all, okay? But this is what's, I got to come on somewhere in the back over there, okay? This is what's happening in the church of Corinth. Now, to make matters worse, there's some people in the church that are like, it's okay. Like, it's, isn't the grace of God bottomless? Hey, hey, we just need to love people, Pastor. Okay, all right. Well, so Paul's like, wrong? Wrong. So Paul writes to say, hey, that's, no, that's not the answer. We'll talk about grace, because I know we're wondering, okay, well, where does grace come in? And we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out together. We're going to dive right in, church. I have a lot of content and uh, not a ton of time, but I'll, I'll do what I can in the next 40 minutes. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at the entire chapter. Listen, it's spicy, it's dicey, so we're going to go there. So just get ready, just so you know we're going there today. Paul's going there, Okay. This may trigger some of you. This may offend some of you. And I want to just ask you for your heart for the next 45 minutes. Don't just walk out and leave. Well, I can't believe this church. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. The truth is hard to hear. I get that. But I'm going to do it as kindly as I can, with as much grace as I can, but I will not compromise the truth of God, okay? All right? I won't compromise one bit. It's the truth that we often need because the truth is what sets us free. All right, so let's go there. First Corinthians chapter 5, it's going to get dicey. Here we go. Paul says this. It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality. It's the word pornea. Pornography, we get that, the Greek word pornea. There's sexual immorality among you, and of a kind, even pagans do not tolerate a man sleeping with his father's wife. This is crazy. Stop right there for a moment. Paul says that even the pagans don't tolerate this. People who don't believe in God, people who don't worship God, people who worship a plurality of gods, even they're looking in on the church and they're like, yo, that's messed up what you guys are doing right there. That's, we like to do whatever we want to do, you know what I'm saying? But we don't want to do that. So they're looking at the church saying, okay, okay, that's strange. You guys are jacked up, okay? Verse number two, and then Paul says, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? You should have been crying and weeping, Paul says. And have what? Put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this. What's that mean? Kick him out of the church. 
For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who's present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, notice Paul is building a theology of gathering. It's incredible. He says, when you come together, there is the Lord present among you in a very powerful way. He says this in verse 5. He says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And then notice what he says, so that, okay, so that, that's really important, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Paul says, I'd rather have him uncomfortable right now than spend an eternity in hell. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Paul says, what starts small is going to get into everything, every part of the church. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch and you are as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has what? Been sacrificed. Jesus died for you, so don't take advantage of that. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He says, I wrote to you in my letter, listen to this, this is going to be, this is going to sound harsh. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate, don't even hang out with sexually immoral people. And then there's a caveat. Not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. <laughs> okay, Paul says, listen, you, the people in the world are going to act like worldly people. So I'm not saying that. Here, here he says in verse 11, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims, who's saying, I'm, 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 I'm for Jesus, I'm following Jesus. Who, this is why the leadership team at our church, we have permission to have hard conversations with people. Why? Because some certain people are claiming to be brothers and sisters, but it's sexually immoral or greedy. They're greedy, they're slanderers, not just sexual immorality, but that's a big part of it. Idolaters drunkards or swindlers, not even eat, do not even eat with such people, Paul says. They're like, wow, that's, uh, we'll get to the grace part. I know, okay, usually everybody, there's like a grace and truth to every church. The grace people are like, Pastor Marco, let's just have grace. The truth are like, give him hell, Pastor Marco. I mean, give him heaven, I mean. <laughs> like every pastor has those voices speaking into him. You know, it's just the grace side and the truth side, Okay. Paul says this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Paul says, don't worry about the outsiders, but those, are, those who are inside? He says, well, yeah, you've got to practice discernment and judgment. Expel the wicked person from among you. Ouch. What do we do with those words? Well, let's take a moment and uh, let's ask the Holy Spirit to breathe into this word. I think it's going to be good. I'm excited for it, to be honest with you, because the truth always sets people free. So, I love God's truth. I love his word. And so it may sting for some of you, but I promise that the other end of that is life. Right. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your spirit here. Um, just breathe afresh into this room. Father, would you draw men, women, teenagers, uh, young people to you right now, God, we just pray that you'd pour out your spirit on all flesh. God, revive our church. Renew us, Lord. Lord, let us cleanse the sin that we've so be, that beset us, that we've so clung to you before, God. Let us let go of that and follow you so that we might experience renewal in this generation, God. Speak through me, Holy Spirit. I need it more than ever, perhaps, this morning. Help me to be both truthful but also kind. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this morning, I want to begin um, this morning by showing you a photogra photography, by showing you a photo of two different fires. I want you to take a look at this picture if you would. On your left is a picture, of course, of a bonfire. And on the right, of course, is a picture of a wildfire. Now, these are two different types of fire. They're both fire, though, obviously, we know this. Both of these fires produce heat. Both of these fires produce light. And both of these fires produce energy, but there is a big difference between these two fires, of course. We all love a good bonfire, don't we, church, right? In the summertime, maybe you're on the beach, and there's a bonfire there. 
When you have a bonfire, what does it do, man? You have people around the bonfire, you have fellowship, you have conversation, there's, there's, there's music sometimes, there's laughter, it brings people together. Maybe you've got some s'mores. I love s'mores. I love melting that chocolate on that graham cracker. Praise you, Lord. I love that, right? And uh, we just, you know, you just bite into that deliciousness that the Lord has given us the ability to enjoy here on the earth. And so, and we love this. And maybe, maybe you've got Adam Arnold at your party. And so he's got a guitar in his, his trunk or his backseat, guaranteed, right? Guaranteed. So Adam brings out the guitar. All of a sudden, you got Tom Petty hits. You got Bob Dylan. You got some worship songs. I mean, we're having a good time, right? We're having a good time around the bonfire. Now, the difference between the two fires Listen, is that one is contained and one is wild, right? That's really the primary difference. One is contained in a small, very small area, and the other on the right is, is running wild, okay? I want to show you the difference here. One fire creates joy and happiness, but the other fire, listen, church, creates sadness and grief. One fire um, facilitates conversation and, and laughter and produces life, but the other fire destroys and damages and, and, and does harm. Uh, one fire in the picture, listen, gathers people for fellowship. We gather around the fire, but the other fire scatters people. People run in fear because of what this fire will do to their homes or their neighborhoods. They're running away from the fire. Now, there are different results of the fire dependent upon the context of the fire. This is what I want you to hear. Different results come from different contexts. So listen, one fire is deemed to be what? Good, enjoyable, right? It's a good time. The other fire is what? It's, it's harmful. It's, it's damaging. It produces fear in, in many people. Can I just tell you that sex is similar to fire? Sex is similar to fire. In fact, one writer has called sex a holy fire. So here's what I'm trying to say. Sex in one context produces what? Intimacy, closeness, deeper love, incredible satisfaction, fulfillment, two drawing close together. Another type of sex found in a different context, well, it often produces, it, it, it's damaging. Now, it may not feel like that from the outset or from the onset, but it, it's damaging, it, it's harmful. Um, it's likely to what? To, to, to abuse and use both of the individuals. In other words, people don't actually feel loved. They feel like used goods. They feel like their bodies were taken advantage of for someone else's pleasure. Two fires are just found in different contexts. So here... In the church in Corinth, the fire there is more like a wildfire. It's destroying the church. It's, you know, ripping relationships apart. And guess what? And, and, and I'm guessing so-and-so is cheating on so-and-so, and, and kids' lives are being ripped apart, and families are, are splitting up, and there's a lot of damage and, and harm. And maybe there's, maybe there's shame and there's guilt that comes, that accompanies that, and there's condemnation that the enemy brings all because of that. And Paul says, listen, that while they're tolerating that sin, which is very interesting, I think, because did you know that tolerance is the culture's highest virtue? Now in academia, some, in some parts of education, certainly Hollywood, we're supposed to bow at the throne of tolerance. Right? Paul says here, you're tolerating his sexual sin. What you should have done was kick him out. Now you're thinking, like, well, that sounds harsh. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Paul even says, don't even associate to those who claim that they're brothers or sisters in Christ, but who are sexually immoral. Here, here's what Jesus says. I think it's Matthew chapter 7. You can look it up yourself. Jesus says it's better for you to go to heaven with one eye than to hell with two eyes. It's the same principle. So we may think, oh my gosh, that's so harsh. Oh my goodness. Paul's saying, I want this person to be saved though. It's actually an act of compassion. Does that mean that anyone with sin needs to just leave the church? 
Well, of course not, because there'd be nobody here, okay? <laughs> now, I'm serious. There'd be nobody here, okay? Well, Paul is speaking of the person who refuses to turn away from his sin, refuses to acknowledge that this is wrong in the eyes of God. A person who says, I feel no conviction for what I'm doing. Paul says it's better that that person say, that you ask that person, it's time for you to leave. Well, you might think, well, that seems very harsh, Pastor Marco. I don't know. Here's the principle here. Paul says he's talking about leaven, yeast, a little bit of dough. Paul knows this, that what starts in a small way, Paul says, is eventually going to spread through the rest of the church. This is why. So Paul says, I don't want the rest of the church to be affected and infected. Because here's what happens in the church. Eventually, people start to talk. Right? It happens. <laughs> oh, did you think Pastor Mark didn't invite me back on the weekend? He should just have grace. Just why don't we have more grace? Right? People start talking and talking and talking. But Paul says, listen, eventually people are just going to say this. Well, I guess you can say you love Jesus and just live how you want, I guess. I guess that's what this church is all about. And then what do you have? You have an imploding church being infected and destroyed by what? By sin. By sin. So therefore, listen, there has to be courage in the leadership. There has to be boldness to address some of these issues, right? Paul says, listen, that's not how this works. Jesus died to set you free from sin, not so that you can hold on to it. Now, listen, has, has, let me, give me a show of hands. Has any one of you ever seen the, the television show Hoarders on A&E Network? Raise your hand. Okay, good, good, good. We got a good crowd here seeing Hoarders, right? <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you can YouTube it. Um, be warned. Okay, be warned. So most of the time in the television show Hoarders, there is a person who has collected and gathered all kinds of junk and stuff to the point where, listen, their homes are unlivable. I mean, it's like just piles of newspapers all the way to the ceiling, and there's, there's feces, and there's garbage that smells, and the water is even unclean. It's so disgusting. Listen, as they walk through the house, they can't even make their way through. They're kind of, you know, okay, well, come this way, you know, oh, here's, the, here's the kitchen. I have, you know, this five inches to make my food in, and that's all I can do, and, and, but I love my stuff. I can't get rid of my stuff. I love it, right? While meantime, the, the, the families of those who are uh, have this emotional distress of hoarding. They're like thinking to themselves, I can't stand to see my mom this way. Like, I can't stand to see my uncle this way. Like, we gotta get him help. We gotta get him help, right? Now, for most of us, I think anyways, I think, unless you're one of them themselves, but anyways, for most of us, we would look at that television show, we would watch an episode and say, "I, I can't believe they live this way. Oh, my gosh. We would watch that television like, oh, oh, no, oh, no, 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 honey, honey, turn it off. As they just, like, made their food in the middle of rat poop. And we, and, and we would think, how, how can they hold on to the, all that stuff? It's destroying their lives. It's destroying all their relationships. Can I just tell you, that's the way sin works. Sin is so similar in its properties that we hold on to it for the same reasons that the people hoard in those episodes. Why do people hoard? Well, it is an emotional um, disability and, and several traumatic factors may be considered when it comes to those individuals. But listen, ultimately, these people are holding on. They're gathering these stuff. Because why? Because it brings them security. Because it brings them comfort. And it brings them peace. Now, albeit a, a false sense of peace, but it brings them peace. And so they've, they've collected and they're hoarding all these things and they're just unwilling to let it go. And they're like, hey, would you? So someone, an, an intervention specialist comes in and says, would you, would you let go of one magazine? And they're like, okay. Like, right? It's like, thank God, a little bit of progress. We got about 17,000 more magazines to get rid of. We made some progress. Sin works the same way in our lives. Sometimes we come to Christ and we love what it initially does to us, but there are certain sins that we want to hold on to because why? Because it's convenient, it's comfortable, it it's even brings us a false sense of peace. 
all the while destroying our lives. I don't want to let go of that relationship. He said he loves me, though. He loves you. No, he's abusing you. He's taking advantage of your body. But he said he loves me. No, 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 no. I, I know that's what he said. Something bigger going on here, though. He's not loving you. He's using you. We hold on to these sin issues. Listen, because it's so difficult. We think it's so difficult to to give away, to surrender to Christ. And yes, the gospel is, is truth, is grace and truth, but let me make this big point today. Grace is never a license to continue in sin. Rather, grace is the mean to live a life of holiness. It's never a license to continue to sin. Grace is the means to live a life of holiness. Paul, we're going to go on to chapter 6 here, just one second. Paul says that they're actually filing lawsuits against one another. They're suing one another. And he's like, this is messed up, you guys. And so we're going to go, we're going to jump into chapter 6. I want to pick things up in verse number 9, and then we're going to um, read all the way to the end of the chapter. Okay? Here it comes. Here it comes. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not, will not, it says, inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived, Paul says. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, don't be deceived. If you're living your life in this manner, don't fool yourself. And at this time, and that, I'm oh, sorry, excuse me. And that is what some of you, what's the next word, church? Were. What does that mean? That means past tense. Past tense. But you were what? Washed. Sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy. You were justified means a declaration. The pronouncement was you're free and not guilty. You're innocent and not guilty. It's a, it's a, a, a term that's used in the courtroom justified, you're, you're made to be free and innocent in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then he says this, and it's in quotes, I have the right to do anything. What is Paul doing? He's quoting some of the Greek philosophers, some of the, some of the influential um, people of that day who said this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, Paul says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, here's correction, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us again. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Okay. Shall, then, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites, there's that word again, this is a play off the language in Genesis. Fascinating here. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united, there it is again. Notice Paul repeating that phrase. Again, it's a play off of Genesis chapter 2. Read Genesis chapter 2 if you don't know that. We'll go there later. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18, he says this, run away, flee from sexual immorality. Not all other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the what? Holy Spirit. Who's in you? Whom you have received from God? You are not your own, Paul says. You were bought at a price. You were bought with the blood-stained cross. Therefore, what? Honor God with your bodies. Some, some Christians think, well, it doesn't matter what I do with my body because it's all spiritual. I have such a, a thriving spiritual life. And then yet their, their bodies, they're tearing apart with drug addiction and sexual encounters. And, and they just, like, it's just like it's two different things. And that's not Christianity. Christianity has a lot of value on the actual physical body. A lot of people say, we're just going to die and, you know, our bodies are going to be gone. No, 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 no. He's going to give you a new body. He didn't trash it. 
He's going to give you a new body. It's a glorified body. God cares about the body. Some Christians just want to throw away the body and like it's not a big deal. Who cares what we do with our body? It's all about our, our spiritual life. I have my, it's all about my spiritual life. Yeah. But God is like, no, 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 no. Listen, your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, you guys. And he says, listen, he's going to, remain, he's going to renew the body. He's going to give you a glorified body. Now, these are pretty piercing words from the Apostle Paul, okay? Paul says that we need to flee all sexual immorality because it's outside of the will of God, okay? It's outside of the will of God. So that leads us to the question, well, Pastor Marco, what is God's will for sex then? You know, uh, Christopher Yuan said this, you can't build a life on God's no. You have to build a life on God's yes. Right? We gotta build a life on God's yes. Some people look at Christianity and they think, well, it's all about the things I can't do. Can't do this, can't do that. Can't do that, can't do this, can't do that, right? It's like, ah, uh, what a, what a, you know, I, just, I don't want anything to do with that. We're going to build a life on God's yes, right? As we answer this question, here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to answer the question both theologically and then pastorally, okay? So we're going to start with the Bible because the Bible is our guide. And as believers, we believe that the Bible is what? Authoritative. So that means it has authority over our lives authority over our lives as we follow Jesus, right? as we follow Jesus. I want to I point you to some books that I've read on the issue of sexuality, um, same-sex attraction, things of that nature. Go ahead and put that slide up if you would. And um, everyone except the last book, Holy Sexuality, I'm on, I'm on chapter eight on that one. I, I, uh, I'm not completely through with it. But the last two books, Gay Girl, Good God, and holy sexuality, I started those in Houston. I listened to Gay Girl, Good God on the airplane and at the airport. I had a lot of downtime. Holy sexuality, I, I bought on my Kindle app, on my phone, so I'm just reading. This is what I do. I just, I just read wherever I can because I'm always like taking in information. I'm always trying to grow as a leader, as a theologian, as a pastor. And each of these books are great, great resources. And they're not just written from Ivy, to Ivy Towers. I promise you these are books of people with real lives and real stories, Okay caught in sexual addiction, caught in uh, sexual sin, caught in different things. And these are great resources. If you're here and you want to learn more, if you have a family member, whatever your case is, listen, these are some great resources to check out. Let's start with the Bible and what the Bible says about human sexuality. And what I want to do is I want to give you three phrases that would be very helpful for you to write down or maybe put a note in your phone really quick. These three phrases will take what can be a very complex topic and will make it, I hope, simple for you. Uh, you can take this away and you can teach it to somebody else, okay? You can teach it to someone else. I hope that you'll be able to do this. Phrase number one is this. Marriage and sexuality is rooted in creation. Marriage and sexuality is rooted in creation. We're going to go all the way to the book of Genesis. This is Genesis chapter 2.18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper, here's the underlined word, suitable for him. Okay, suitable for him. That word suitable is the Hebrew word konegdo or negdo, and that word is um, alluding to sameness and difference. That word is alluding to sameness and difference. In other words, the helper that God is going to make for Adam, there will be a sameness, but there will also be a difference. In other words, Eve will be the same as she is what? A human. She's a human. Eve will be different, though, as she is sexually different. She's a female, right? She's sexually different. Let's jump to verse number 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Notice the progression, church. This is why a man leaves his house. He doesn't live with his mom until he's 38 years old and plays Halo all day, okay? He moves out of the house, and then he's united to his wife. That means they get married, and they become one flesh. They consummate the marriage by having sex, okay? So they're, they're united, means there's marriage, and then, and then they become one flesh, which is sexual intercourse. This is, the, this is what we should see, of course. This is the blueprint, and they're like literally the second page of the Bible, Okay? Now, I want you to notice something about this verse. Did you notice that it doesn't say, for this reason, Adam will leave his mother and father? Well, why doesn't it say that? Well, it doesn't say that because Adam didn't have a mother and father, okay? 
What's the point? The point is this. God is saying this. From this point on, this is what marriage will look like. From this point on, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they become one. Flesh. God is outlining what marriage will be, the pattern for, mar- for what marriage will look like, okay? It's about marriage as a whole. According to Genesis chapter 2, listen, um, sex difference is not a take-it-or-leave-it option. It's actually what marriage is. You see what I'm saying? Now, you're, you're thinking, well, well Pastor Marco, um, in, the, in the United States of America, we... We, we celebrate same-sex marriage. That's the state. Okay, that's the state. Now, some churches do actually do that as well. But in Orthodox Christian churches, we know, listen, that marriage is defined between as a man and a woman in covenant relationship, okay? Looking at the word of God. It's the foundation. This is the foundation for every other biblical passage in the Bible, Right here in Genesis, you have to start in creation. You have to start here, okay? So we said it's rooted in creation. Phrase number two is this, it's repeated by Jesus. It's repeated by Jesus. When Jesus was confronted with the issue, listen, Jesus could have redefined marriage for us. He doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't do that. You know what Jesus does? He quotes from, guess what? The book of Genesis. He quotes from the book of Genesis. Jesus is saying that's the word of God. And if Jesus thought that was the word of God, we should think it's the word of God as well. Matthew 19, four through six. Haven't you read, just words from Jesus, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made the male and female. What's that? Genesis chapter one. Go read Genesis chapter one, and it's gonna say that. He made the male and female in his image, he made them. Okay? Verse number five. And he said, for this reason, sounds really familiar, doesn't it, church? And for this reason, the man will leave his, mo- his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh, okay? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. It means that there's such an intimacy between a man and a woman in marriage. There's, there's such a joining together that it's essentially like two becoming one. It's so powerful, okay? It's so powerful. Se- this is why sex outside of marriage can be so damaging. This is why if you're a teenager and you're having sex and then you break up, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt bad. You're going to be like, it's like your life is going to be over. Why? Because you become one flesh. You're joining together what was meant right now. So if you break up, it's going to be like, oh, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt bad. Just, I just I want to be honest with you. It's going to hurt bad. Okay? They're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Okay? I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say that marriage is between two consenting adults. That's the way the state defines marriage. Jesus says that marriage is a covenant union between a male and a female. That's, am I trying to, to start an argument here? Not at all. I'm just, I want to teach you what the Word of God says, though. Okay? Repeated by Jesus, number three, marriage is reflective of Christ in the church. So here's what we see, church. We see this. We see that God has already spoken in Genesis. From the opening pages of Genesis, we see that. Okay, okay, Jesus, what do you say? I want to know what Jesus says about marriage, though, Pastor Marco. Okay, open up to Matthew 19. It's repeated by Jesus. He doesn't redefine it. He doesn't say, well, you know, it's something different. No, 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 no. Listen, church, listen, 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 listen. He's quoting Genesis. And guess who else will quote Genesis? Paul. Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle. This, these verses are the staple for what we know marriage to be is. So Ephesians chapter 5, 31, 32 says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Hey, sound familiar, doesn't it, church? Paul didn't write that. Paul's taking from Genesis. He's, he's taking, quoting scripture. He's saying, listen, here's what it says. I'm not, I'm not here to redefine it. I mean, it's already been spoken. Like, this is, it's, it's nailed in. Like, this is what it is. This is just the writers of Scripture. This is what they did. He says, united to his wife, two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. In other words, this marriage shows the relationship God has with his bride. 
This is why in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, like the, the minor or the major prophets, when God says he accuses the, the nation of Israel of idolatry, what does he say to them? He says, you've committed what? Adultery. Adultery. Why? Because the relationship between him and his people, right? Marriage is an illustration of that. Isn't that wild? Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. When, when I started to really unravel that, I was like, whoa. That the strongest union, which is marriage, is the same illustration God uses to say how much he loves his church. He's faithful to us, even though we're not faithful. He's loyal to his bride. He's coming back for his bride. We fail. We get dirty. But Jesus says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm coming for a spotless bride. So let's review quickly, church. Number one, it's rooted in creation. When we talk about biblical sexuality, marriage itself, it's rooted in Genesis, rooted in creation, is what? Repeated by Jesus. Jesus did not redefine it. And then number three, it's reflective of Christ and his church. This is what we see, a definition, okay? This is actually, let me just tell you, this is actually what the world, no, not the world, sorry. <laughs> this is actually what the church has believed for 2,000 years. It's only been in the past, like, whatever it is, 20, 25 years that people have redefined what marriage is, right? And so, but this is what Orthodox Christianity has always believed. This is what Jew, the Jewish faith has always believed, okay? It's rooted in Judaism. We see that. In Genesis, of course. All right, now let me spend the next section. I want to talk about this pastorally. Okay, okay, I get that theologically, but how do we deal with this? Like feet on the ground, talking with people? Because the reality is this, is that most people in our world do not hold to a biblical worldview of sex. Can I just tell you some sobering news? A lot of Christians don't even hold to a biblical worldview of sex. Barna research showed that 17% of professing Christians actually hold to a biblical worldview. 17%. What does that mean? That means that the world and their message has screamed so loudly that many Christians have said, you know what? I don't think that's the most loving thing, and I'm going to choose what the world says. But can I just tell you, when we do that, all of a sudden we're putting ourselves in the place of God because we think we're more loving than God is. And the most loving thing that we can do is to agree with what God has already said. So when you say, well, that's not loving, that's not very graceful, you put yourself, you don't think you're doing this, but you are, church. Listen, I love you, I love you, but you're putting yourself in the place of God. You're saying you're more loving than God is. You can be more loving than he is. Huh, really? Wow. Can I just say the, the audacity of that? We would do that. Holy, sovereign God, right? Here's what I want to do in the next section. So a lot of people don't agree with us, okay? And you may not agree with me, and that's okay. That's okay. How do we talk with people outside of our belief system? Let me just give you four practical, practical things. Number one, recognize the image of God in all people. Recognize the image of God in all people. Genesis tells us that man and woman were made in the image of God. What that means with boots on the ground is this. It means that every person, no matter what they believe in, no matter what their sexual orientation is, no matter how much they slept around, no matter uh, what sort of adultery they've committed, every person, listen, is deserving of dignity, okay? And every person has intrinsic worth, value, and dignity. Every person. Now, you may not agree with them. You may not like the lifestyle they're living in, but they're still made in the image of God. So you're like, I want to just smash them. No, 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 ah, no, 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 nope. They're made in the image of God. But we don't have permission to do that. Right? Number two, I want you to practice kindness, church. Practice kindness. Romans chapter two says us that the kindness of God was meant to lead us to repentance. The kindness of God. No one ever came into the kingdom by being yelled at and belittled. Hey, you, so-and-so, and you, and you. Hey, no, no, hey, no one's gonna come to faith like that. Let's just be honest with you. Hey, if I just yell at them loud enough, no, 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 no. I get, I get that it's personal for you. I get that you're angry. I, I get that your heart is broken in 50 pieces because of the issue of sex in your family. But I want you to practice kindness. The church is called to kindness. The church is called 
to kindness. And I want to just make this clear. Kindness does not mean agreement. Kindness does not mean agreement. Number three, I want you to choose relationship over being right. Choose relationship over being right. And I know this is, Pastor Marco, that's messy. What did you think it was going to be, okay? Do you think it's going to be clean, just easy? No, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. It's going to be messy. It's going to be awkward conversations and just, but I want you to try your best to choose relationship over being right. Now, but I'm right, and, and you may be theologically right. Let me tell you a story from the book Gay Girl, Good God, Jackie Hill Perry. She claimed to be a lesbian for years. She wanted nothing to do with God. But she had a, she had a cousin who was a Christian. Like, she was a devoted Christian as well. She had her cousin's number in her iPhone. Now, Jackie felt like the Lord was trying to get her attention. So because she had her cousin's number, and because she had, a, guess what, a relationship with her cousin, she called her up and said, can we talk? So her cousin comes over, and Jackie says this, hey, I feel like the Lord is trying to get my attention. I don't want his attention, and I don't want anything to do with him, but I just sense that he's trying to get my attention. And because Jackie's cousin has a relationship with her, what does she do? She practices kindness. She practices compassion, but she speaks the truth boldly. And she says this to Jackie in response. Jackie, girl, I've been praying for you. If God is after you, good luck escaping him. And she says, but I don't want a relationship with Christ. It's too bad. He's chasing you down. I'm praying for you, girl. So she speaks the truth in love, but without a relationship, guess what you never have a chance to do? Speak the truth in love. Now, Again, let me just say this. It doesn't mean that you agree with them. It doesn't mean that you condone it. But our culture has said that you have to agree with me on everything. If you don't, you hate me. And we just expose that for what it is, a bunch of garbage. Lies. Lies of the enemy. I don't have to agree with you to love you. I don't have to agree with your lifestyle to love you. We may disagree sharply on sexual ethics and politics and all these hot topic issues right now in our culture, races, whatever it is. Listen, I don't have to agree with you on everything to love you. Our world has said that you have to agree with everything in order to be loved. And we, push, we push back on that and we expose it for what it is, lies. Number four, don't overlook the power of prayer. Parents, I want to speak to you for a moment. Parents, don't overlook the power of prayer. Parents, I'm going to challenge you. Pray every day for your kids. Every day for your kids. Pray 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 every Never let a day go by where you don't pray for your kids. I don't care if they're far from God and living in sexual sin or they're the most devoted Christ follower. Pray for your kids every day. I have to write it down for me because I, I will forget. I, I No joke. I will forget, Lord, bless Ari and Ezra. Lord, I want them to know you, to serve you, to honor you. God, make them in the world-changing leaders. God, do what I can't do. Pray. So Christopher Yuan, the author of Holy Sexuality, tells a story. This is why you need to read good Christian books with good theology. Christopher Yuan, he, he was a young man. He came out to his parents as gay, as a young man. And for years, listen, he, he got involved in the wrong crowds. He became a drug dealer. And eventually, he landed himself in prison with HIV. He opposed his parents' faith for years upon years upon years. But his mother, listen, would pray for him every single day. She would cry out to the Lord. There's a picture in an interview of her prayer closet, sticky notes everywhere, all these prayers for her son. And she would pray this prayer, and she said in, in, in the interview, this was the most dangerous prayer I've ever prayed. I said, God, do whatever it takes to save him. Bring him to his knees if you have to. So Christopher Yuan is in prison, okay? He's in prison. Literally, he has no other options. He's hit rock bottom because he's been selling drugs and, and just a life of promiscuity and trouble and, and on sin. And he has access to a Bible. He opens up the Bible for the first time in his life. He actually reads it, and he continues to read it. And what happens? The Holy Spirit softens his heart. And what happens? He's saved. There's no one in there to lead him to Christ. He opens up to Romans, and he's convicted. And the Spirit of God fills him, and he repents of his sin. He gives his life over to Jesus. Now, Christopher Yuan would say this. He says, listen, that's a beautiful story, but what you don't know is I had a mother 
who prayed for me for years every single day. God, do whatever it takes. So when that moment came, when he gave his life to Christ, he, he calls his mom from prison. He's crying on the phone. And the first thing that comes out of her mouth is like, what do you want? No, it's not that. It's, are you okay? He says, Mom, I've given my life to Jesus. She can't even believe it. She asks the second time, what are, what are you talking about? Like, I've given my life to Christ. God wants to use me. Now God uses Christopher Yuan in a, just a huge way, and his mother, they travel together and speak on this issue, sexuality and church and sin. And his book is incredible, highly theological, but also practical. Don't, listen, don't overlook the power of prayer. I got a couple minutes left. We got to wrap this up. Listen, we know that God has designed sex to be good. It's a good gift. It is a good gift. If I haven't said that enough, I apologize. Sex is a good gift. It's a good gift. But it has to be in the right context. It's a good gift. It's enjoyable. It's pleasurable. It's two people coming together, expressing their vows to one another. But if it's outside the context of marriage between a man and a woman, the Bible says it's sin clear. The Bible says it's sin. Anything contrary to God's design is sin. Listen, for some of you, you may be thinking, well, listen, okay, <laughs> what is the difference between sex and marriage and sex before marriage? Like, isn't it the same thing? Like, it's just a matter of timing, right? No, it's not actually just a matter of timing. Sex inside of marriage, listen, is expressing your vows to one another. It's, you're joining with that, it's, it's creating intimacy Passion, deeper love, okay? Sex outside of a marriage is what? It's a form of taking and robbing. Why? Well, why is that? Because if that other person isn't willing to give you himself, his complete self, herself completely in a covenant agreement marriage in the eyes of God, listen, they're not loving you, they're taking from you. They're robbing you. So young people, listen today, I don't care if it feels good, I don't care if there's sexy people all over MTV or whatever videos you watch, I don't care if it glamorizes sex, listen, the other side of it is ruin. Young people, listen to me, I exhort you, I beg you, as a, as a man who lived a promiscuous lifestyle before Christ, I beg you, it's, it's not worth it, it's not worth it. I bet it's not worth it. I woke up many times disgusted with myself full of guilt, full of condemnation, was not happy. Was it pleasurable for a moment? Sure, of course, it's sex, it's sin. If it, if it wasn't, we wouldn't do it, right? But on the other side of that, it was always depression. I had long bouts of depression, long bouts of feeling dirty, long bouts of guilt, condemnation. I would be so ashamed of myself. It never brought life. It never brought what I thought it would be. It was empty promises. Listen, I, young people, if you're 15 years old, 14, 13, listen, I know it's happening earlier and earlier now. I don't care what, how old you are. It's just not worth it. For God has a good gift for you. He does. I promise you it's a good gift. But if it's not in the right context, it will ruin you. It will damage you. It will, it will hurt you. It will leave you depressed, exhausted, feeling like used goods. And I don't want that for you. Neither do your parents do. If you won't listen to your parents, will you listen to me for just a moment? I know, but I know. I know what it's like. I have kids. The kids don't want to listen to us either. So let me speak into your life for right now. Follow Jesus. Choose surrender over your feelings. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, Pastor Marco, but, but, but those feelings are natural for me. I bet they are. <laughs> I bet they are. But I want to challenge you. Don't choose your feelings. Choose surrender to Christ. Just because you have feelings doesn't make them right. I have feelings. Some of them aren't right. <laughs> Every feeling must come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Finally, let me just say this one, one, one last thing here. I know we've gone over. Thank you for being patient. Finally, if you feel like this message has triggered you to a life of of hurt because of your sexual failure. Let me just say, sexual sin is bad, but it's not the worst sin. You can be forgiven and you can be healed through Jesus Christ. And so the message for you this morning, that's right, you can clap your hands. The message for you this morning is this. Come to the cross. Come 
to the cross and find life. Come on, church, if we're not different this way, how are we going to be different from the world? If we're just doing what the world does, come on, how are we going to make any impact? How are we going to be salt and light? Jesus says, you lost your saltiness. You lost your light. You, you covered it up with a lampshade. Church, if we're not doing this, I know it's a struggle. And I know for some of you, your feelings are intense. Pastor Marco, my feelings, I have a same-sex attraction. Maybe you're thinking, I, I, I can't deny that. Yes, you can. It'll be difficult. It'll be hard. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can obey Jesus. Come to him. Surrender him. Surrender to him. And let him change you from the inside out. Let him change you from the inside out. Today, find healing in Jesus. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to throw you under the bus, but I'm here to give you the truth unapologetically because the truth will set you free. A lie will keep you in bondage. Church, I want you free. Church, a liberated church, a free church. Church, uh, uh, this kind of church changes the city. This is what we've been called to, not just me, you as well. In partnership together, the church rises up. We'll see revival, renewal. What once was known as the city of debauchery, Bay City, will be known for a city of righteousness. Let it be so. Come on, you stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. We're going to sing a chorus out really quick. Pastor Jacob, will you just sing this over us? And then I want you to jump in on it. Jesus paid it all.